0: Welcome to Consent Conversations at the Berg. Your hosts are Jennifer Storm and Carmen Brown. Welcome back to Consent Conversations at the Berg, an initiative to foster vital dialogue around the issues of consent. I am your host, Carmen Brown, I use she, her pronouns, and I am the Associate Director of Prevention Education here at Muhlenberg. Today, we have a special guest with us, Aliyah Kenyatta from the Counseling Center. Aaliyah, do you want to take a minute to introduce yourself?
1: Sure. I'm Aaliyah Kenyatta. I'm a licensed social worker. She, her pronouns. I'm a staff counselor here at Muhlenberg, and I've been here for five years. I'm a Gemini. I
0: I love it. Um, So thank you so much for being here with us today, Aaliyah. As we near the holidays and breaks and many students may be going home, traveling with friends to their homes, we wanted to focus this episode on all things good and bad those experiences can bring with us. So Aaliyah joins us today to provide us with some tips around taking care of yourself while you're in these spaces. So let's start off with talking about the basics, coping mechanisms. These are so important in every space we hold, even when that physical space changes, like when we leave Muhlenberg to go to our home. Can you help our listeners understand what a coping mechanism is, what purpose they serve, and some ideas around how to tap into these coping mechanisms when the physical space we hold changes?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that coping mechanisms can best be understood as an activity that connects you to yourself, your true self. They help you cope with the ups and downs of whatever situation you're going through. So when you find yourself struggling in, once again, whatever situation you tap into this, if you find yourself emotionally dysregulated or just even a little upset. I like to mention that they are very personal because you will see if you Google like coping mechanisms or coping skills, And you'll get a list of options. And that's a good thing because it needs to be very personal to you. Like I said, it connects you to yourself. So I can recommend to one of my students or my clients that taking a walk or painting may be a good coping skill. But if that doesn't resonate with you, if you're not a painter, if you don't consider yourself an artistic person, it won't make a difference. It won't be a coping mechanism. So I do encourage people like my students, if we're trying to figure it out, I like to narrow it down to about three just so you have some to tap into if you find that one is not working at the moment. So that may be walking, it may be something creative like painting, or it may be something physical like working out or taking a run. As we are transitioning to going home and being around people who are home, our given family, I suggest that you create these coping mechanisms on your own, have them ready, kind of like in your toolbox. I know it's such a therapy thing to say, but have it in your toolbox. But do not try to eliminate i like to keep this in mind reduce but don't eliminate so if your coping mechanism is going for an hour-long walk don't not walk walk for about 10 minutes versus an hour just so you feel like you can connect to yourself especially when you're changing environments
0: awesome i love a good toolbox so to shift the conversation a bit taking us from thinking about how our coping mechanisms may shift and change when we go home to situations where we may actually apply these mechanisms. So first off, family. Many of us have our chosen families who we know we're compatible with and get along with because we've chosen them. These are usually the people that we surround ourselves with while we're here at campus. However, the family members we have in the places we come from may not always be ones we are compatible with. There may be tension there. There may be good and bad experiences, good and bad relationships. Can you talk about how someone can navigate these types of family relationships, how they can apply their coping mechanisms to it?
1: I love the mention of compatibility when it comes to family in general, because there seems to be this notion of you should be compatible with your given family. And most of us know that to be untrue. So I suggest that when students are returning home, that they try to take an observer's stance, because even if this is your first semester at college, you've probably been exposed to a lot of different people than you had when you were home So taking that observer stance and kind of integrating the information that you've learned with what you know to be home can really be helpful and can kind of separate you from feeling deep emotions if being home triggers those emotions for you. So I do suggest taking an observer stance first and maybe using this as an opportunity to understand which family members you're more compatible with and which areas you're more compatible with with different family members and lean into the compatible areas. This is something that I find in relationships, that causes a lot of tension is trying to get someone to be compatible on a level where you are just not compatible. So maybe once again, taking that observer stance and realizing, oh, I'm compatible when it comes to specific TV shows with this family member, and instead of trying to get them to be like me in another area where we're not compatible, maybe like recreationally, let's just bond on the TV show and that's it. So that can be really helpful when going back, and it can also help you with a different perspective on relationships in general. Familial relationships are tricky because. Sometimes you kind of are stuck with them where um, maybe romantic relationships or friendships, you have a little more leeway. But it's something I think that should be applied to all relationships if possible.
0: That's awesome. I love what you said specifically about change and how much, even if you're a first year, but even if you're a senior as well here at Muhlenberg, you've gone through a ton of change, not only within your entire time here, but even within just like a semester, a few weeks, whatever that might look like. And I think sometimes individuals are afraid of change and how that changes relationships. So I love that you mentioned that because I think that's such an important thing is to recognize that change happens and that it's OK that change happens. And that is meant to impact and shift how our relationships look exactly. and the compatibility with them.
1: Especially changing in terms of evolution. Like that is yes. what relationships do. They evolve. So even maybe neutralizing the word change to evolve can help mm. it feel a little bit more comfortable. It's not. It's just changing. It's evolving into something that is new or you're creating it. So that tends to help. Yeah.
0: I think one big thing when it comes to family is keeping in mind that there's a difference between healthy and unhealthy confrontation. Confrontation exists in every space that we inhabit, both within our chosen and our given families. But when we feel harmed by others, sometimes, especially family, we may feel an urge to immediately tell that person everything we feel and just throw and spew all of our emotions onto them. While it's important to share with someone when they've done something to hurt us, it's also important to do so in a way that is supportive of ourselves and which is also consensual. Just because we feel harmed doesn't give us the permission to unload our feelings onto that person who harmed us and potentially cause more harm through an unhealthy confrontation. When we think about healthy confrontation, can you tell us a bit more about what that looks like and how we can practice that?
1: Absolutely. It's my favorite (laughs) subject. (laughs) Because I do believe that confrontation is a part of a healthy relationship in general. It's a requirement for a healthy relationship. And I want to provide the neutral definition for confrontation, which is directly addressing something. That is it. And I know that we tend to have a negative association because we've witnessed a lot of unhealthy confrontation in our lives, which are arguments or someone just, like you mentioned, like spewing emotions out, raw emotions out. And that is not healthy confrontation. Healthy confrontation has some guidelines that I would like to just remind you of as you go into this next change or any change in general when it comes to relationships. So keeping in mind that confrontation is directly addressing something, it also has to have a purpose. If you are confronting and your purpose is to get your emotions out, that's not healthy confrontation. That is something that is your responsibility to work out on your own, which you use the coping mechanisms that we mentioned a little bit, but also some emotional exploration and understanding what emotions, what specific emotions look like for you, what you need during that time period, coping with it and handling your emotions before you schedule a confrontation. So taking time to understand your emotions, give yourself what you need and scheduling a time for the confrontation can be really helpful. So that can once again look like t- tapping into your coping mechanisms, journaling, whatever makes sense for you to understand the emotion and scheduling it. And it's okay to schedule confrontation. I know that there's this sweeping notion that you should just talk it out immediately, but that doesn't usually lead to anywhere productive because you are dealing with your raw emotion. So once again, confrontation needs to have a purpose. I like to reduce it down to about three so you can check in and see if this confrontation has a purpose. One would be to provide clarification on something. Another one would be to gain further understanding. And an and or type of purpose could be to prevent the transgression from happening again. So, those three can be a good guideline for yourself to say, like, does this confrontation fall into one of these categories? And if not, then it may be something else. And a confrontation may not even be needed, it may just be your own emotion that you need to work through on your own. So, that's something that I suggest understanding about confrontation and what it looks like. After you have determined that the confrontation falls into one of those categories of purpose, You can attempt to execute and you can also check in with the other person to see where they are. Because what we don't want is it to lead into unhealthy confrontation, which is an argument or like I mentioned earlier. So if that does happen, you can stop the confrontation. If you cannot physically stop it, you can not participate in it verbally anymore. You do have that right to just shut down. Confrontation can also be somewhat unpredictable. So you want to go in understanding that. But I think having those guidelines Upfront can also just help you feel more comfortable with it if it does arise while you're on break.
0: I know one thing that I've often seen or heard just dealing with confrontation, dealing with boundaries and how confrontation often comes from crossed boundaries. Would you say it's helpful or not helpful to kind of think about how that other person might respond as you're kind of planning it out? Like, is that something you would encourage students to do to think about, Okay, if I mention this, they might respond in this particular way? Or is that something that you would think, like, maybe not do that because then you might pitfall yourself into, well, if they don't respond that way, then this isn't going the way I want it to.
1: I think that it is helpful to attempt to anticipate how someone may respond based on what you already know about the relationship, because confrontation also gives you depth. It can help the relationship gain depth. That's another reason why I do think that it's a requirement. So I do think it can be healthy or helpful to try to anticipate responses, but also plan for your own responses. I think that's a little bit more helpful.
0: So I want to also touch upon another thing that you mentioned in talking about confrontation is recognizing that there has to be a purpose to it. And you mentioned the three purposes. If it doesn't fit into one of those three purposes or all three of them, you had talked about how then it's typically something that you have to work through your own emotions on. Can you talk a little bit more about how to kind of work through your emotions, using coping mechanisms to work through your emotions, like taking that a little bit further? Because I think there are so many instances where we think that confrontation is going to result in something and then we have that conversation and it doesn't actually do anything. And I think it's because it doesn't fall into one of those purposes. So. How would it look kind of just like working through your emotions? What are some tips, tricks that you can can offer around that?
1: The main thing would be not necessarily journaling, but journaling can lead to a deeper understanding. I do recommend really breaking it down to understanding each emotion and how it relates to yourself. So if you take anger, for example, asking yourself, what does anger feel like for me internally? So maybe you're you clench your jaw or you um, clench your fist. Or your face gets hot, something gets hot in your belly. What does it look like externally? So how would someone externally know that you are angry? They might see you once again clench your fist or something like that. And then asking yourself what you need in this moment to allow this emotion to flow. Because that's the purpose. I do believe that the purpose of emotions are to experience them, Mm -hmm. release them. And you can't really release them if you don't feel them and understand what you need in the moment. And for some people, that is a physical release. So I need to just kind of write it out. I need to run it out, walk it out. Something like that. So that would be the inner work. And I know that that's like a buzzword, but I do believe the inner work comes from asking yourself why you do the things you do. Yeah. So sometimes you do that work and it will, and also asking yourself what confrontation, what beliefs you have surrounding confrontation can really help with this type of work. Mm -hmm. So what have you witnessed? What does confrontation look like within your familial system? What does it look like now? How do you feel about it? How do you bring it back to that neutral level of it just being directly addressing a situation
0: so I feel like a lot of what you're saying is just like slow down your thinking which we tell students to do all the time just to like take a moment take a breath slow it down and really think about it before you're immediately reacting along with all of these really amazing tips it's important to remember that we are simply humans which I think we sometimes tend to forget especially when we start to think about emotions and confrontation and all of those things So this means that as humans, we just need certain things to survive and function as regular people. So can you talk more about just physiological functioning, what these basic needs our body has and how they impact us?
1: I love that you use the human reference. (laughs) I say it all the time in session. Everyone knows I'm like, treat yourself like a human. You are a human. Be a human. But there are some things that I do suggest taking into consideration and really paying attention to. Sleeping and eating are the main ones. There are others, but sleeping and eating are the ones that can contribute to lack of um, emotional regulation or lead to like emotional dysregulation. If you have not gotten enough sleep, understanding what your baseline level of sleeping and eating is can really help you. So when you are feeling well in most of the areas in your life, asking yourself, how much sleep do I normally get when I feel healthy? And that could be seven hours, eight hours, depending on which developmental group you're in. It could be like 10 hours. (laughs) Um... And same thing when it comes to eating, when you're feeling healthy, how much do you eat, and what does it look like when you eat? whether that's two meals a day, three meals, if you snack throughout the day, understanding your baseline so you understand when it is skewed or when it's when you've gone off of that baseline, away from that baseline, especially pay attention to this when you go back home. You may find that you sleep more, especially if this is your first semester, but any semester, you might feel like you just need to decompress and integrate the things that you've learned in the past few months, so you might you might find yourself sleeping a little bit more. I don't believe it's necessarily. A cause for concern, just something to pay attention to. Because once again, if they're not in order, and by in order, I do want to emphasize that I don't mean perfect. I don't expect anybody to get a full eight hours of sleep every single night or eat perfectly every single night. So I would lean more towards maybe like three or four days out the week, making sure you get adequate sleep. So enough for you to be able to function and process information, process your emotions throughout the day. Same thing with eating. Mm
0: -hmm. And I also think another thing we point out a lot on this show too is that. It's going to look different for everybody. So your eating and sleeping habits are not going to look the same as, one, the people that you're with around here on campus. But then also, two, it's probably not going to look the same as it was when you were back at home prior to being on campus. Those are going to look very different, I would think, right?
1: Yes, it will. One, because of influence of just the environment. But two, because you may be transitioning developmental stages. So like what Mm -hmm. you needed in high school is not the same that you would need when you're like, 2021 or 22. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So before we sign off for today, one last thing we want to pick your brain on. Can you provide us with some information on resources students can take advantage of while they are away from campus? We know students take a ton of advantage of resources here on campus while they are here. And I would imagine it could feel kind of isolating and disheartening to then leave that space where so many resources are present. But that doesn't mean that these resources completely go away.
1: No, they don't go away. We cannot provide therapy over state lines, but we do have a system called Protocol where you're able to call our direct number. Our number is 484-664-3178, and you can speak directly to an on-call therapist and be able to, if you feel yourself in distress, or you just need to talk to someone in the moment, and that is 24-7 you can call.
0: Are there other things outside of counseling services that students, if they... Don't want to call counseling services for whatever reason, but we recommend that be your first stop. Are there other resources they could potentially take advantage of as well? You can use some of
1: the platforms that are advertised on social media, such as BetterHelp. You can also utilize directories such as Psychology Today. There's like Therapy for Black Girls, Inclusive Therapists. There are a number of directories that are geared towards specific populations. You can, um, once again, Google that and you're able to filter out certain results. So that can be your insurance, zip code. Whatever makes sense to you, those directories are really, really helpful to utilize while you're at home. There's also um, the suicide hotline, which is 988, and the Crisis Lifeline for confidential and free services that you can utilize while you're away.
0: Aaliyah, it has truly been amazing having you on today. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us, giving our listeners more information on how to stay healthy as they venture away from campus for various breaks. So to everyone out there, remember, there are always resources available to you, even if you're not physically here at Muhlenberg. And remember, when in doubt, talk it out. Consent Conversations at the Berg is a production of Muhlenberg College, the Office of Equity in Title IX, the Department of Prevention Education, and WMUH Allentown. This program is recorded and produced in the studios of WMUH Allentown, Pennsylvania.